What is up, friends? Welcome back to episode 19 of the Hard Hitting Sports Podcast. My name is Jack Bradley. I am your host. On the left of my Zoom screen is my co-host, Jordan Lauby. Jordan, Babe Ruth murdered his wife. How are we doing today? <laughs> Not as good as Babe Ruth's wife, I can tell you that much. Nope. Um, no, but we are great. Uh, we had our first win on Friday night, 43-36. to 36. Huge win after scoring 14 points combined in the first two games. Our offense went off um, in the third game. So I have a fun one against Fitchburg this weekend. We don't know what the weather, what that's going to look like, if we're going to move the game up or back a day. So we'll see how that goes. Most likely we'll end up playing Friday or something like that. But should be a fun one. What do you got playing for the weekend, bud? Oh, um, well, Red Sox playing the White Sox this weekend. So pretty big series there. Going to be watching that probably with my family. But really nothing, nothing major planned. But Boston sports are rolling right now. So I'm going to sound like an absolute homer this podcast. But I love it because I actually have a reason to be excited about them. Yes, sir. Other than Julian Edelman, and we will get to that later. Um, <laughs> we will, we will. But cool. Well, NBA, obviously, busy week. We're coming in closer to playoff time, about a month away from the play-in tournament in the East and West. Jordan, I really like who your hitter of the week is, so how about you kick it off here? Let's go with Steph Curry, man. We've been waiting all year for Steph to do his thing, to take the Warriors to another level, and he's done so in the past couple of games. Let's go with the past three first. He's shooting 54.3% from the field, 51% from three, averaging 41 points a game, 4.7 assists, 6.7 rebounds, and 1.3 steals. On April 12th, he went, or this would be yesterday, uh, at the time we're recording this, will be however many days, weeks, months ago when you're listening to this. Years. Literally. Centuries, decades. (laughs) Goes 14 of 24 from the field. 10 of 18 for three, hitting 10 threes is no joke. 53 points, which is his surprisingly his second highest total for this year. He had 62 on what, the third game of the year? I think earlier so. Earlier this season? Yeah. Crazy. Four or six, uh, six total rebounds, and a plus minus a plus 16. That's absolutely crazy. So just for clarification, because I – did not know what plus minus was until I looked it up this week. I just thought it was a cool stat. I talk it's, about it like every show. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like, not listen? <laughs> I'm like, oh, plus minus. That's a good stat. <laughs> so for the uneducated people like me, plus minus basically means how many points your team gets as a differential when that specific player is on the court. So when Steph was on the court at any given moment, Golden State scored 16 more points than the team they played. So if you have a minus five, that means the amount of time you are on the court, the team outscored you by five points with all the time you spent on the court. So obviously the higher your plus minus is, the more likely you are to win. So plus 16, that's really good. And a couple sub points with this. He became the all-time leading scorer for Golden State, passing the great Wilt Chamberlain. And then this is a third game above 50 points this year. He had another game where he scored 53 and obviously the 62, which we talked about uh, later or from earlier this year. And then I'm going to bring it back a step further. The past seven games, he's been on an absolute tear. 53.5% from the field, uh, 45.7% from three, 38.4 points a game. So that just shows this past week wasn't a fluke. He's been doing this week over week now at this point. 4.1 assists, 6.7 rebounds, uh, one steal per game with a plus minus of 5.1. So when he's on the court, his team scoring at least five points or more than the other team. 
He had 32 points on March 29th and April 9th, which is the lowest point total he's had in the seven-game stretch. So 32, which is hard to score in the NBA, that was his lowest mark in the past seven games, twice. His true shooting percentage and an efficient or effective field goal percentage are 72.5% and 66.9% respectively. And before these games, his total shooting and effective field goal percentage were 64% and 59.1%. So both are up almost 10 points in both categories, which is really hard to do. He's had a, he had a plus minus of plus two before these seven games. So the point differential has gone up by three. He's more than doubled it. And in games where Steph has not played, Golden State is one in seven. If you take the winning percentage of games where Steph has played, Golden State would be 30 and 24, sitting seventh in the West. But right now they are 26 and 28, fighting for the 10th seed with the New Orleans Pelicans and the Sacramento Kings. Steph Curry, no question, my hitter of the week. Yeah, I, I love that. I love how I want to I want to take it back a little bit with what you just said too, because he passed Wilt Chamberlain. Now, yes, Wilt Chamberlain did mm-hmm. play for three NBA franchises. He went from the Warriors to Philadelphia and then the Lakers. Mm-hmm. So he definitely you know, great. <laughs> Anytime you're passing Wilt Chamberlain on any list, uh, you're definitely doing something right. So especially yes. for that storied franchise, great guys like Chris Mullen, Rick Barry, Nate Thurman, who were there for long periods of time, Mitch Richmond. So nice to see that Steph is now the all-time leading scorer in their history. The other point I wanted to make too, just based off of what you said, Steph Curry's averaging 30 points a game this year. He hasn't done that since 26, the 2015-2016 season. Now, granted, Kevin Durant was there. Clay Thompson was healthy. So Obviously, you're not going to get as many touches with those guys around, but still, that was the last time he won the MVP was in that 2015-2016. Obviously, that famous 73-9 and year where they ultimately couldn't uh, beat Cleveland and, and get and unfortunately blew the 3-1 lead. But honestly, Steph Curry, I wouldn't say, you know, don't count him out of the MVP race. Really don't. If the, if the Warriors no. make the playoffs, I wouldn't. I mean... It's Jokic's right now. It's his to lose. Embiid's still up there. I know I mean, LeBron with the injuries probably isn't up there. Luka's back up there. Damian Lillard obviously is up there. But don't count Steph Curry out. I think he has no. a dark horse chance. I don't think he is going to win it, but don't don't count him out. I mean, 30 points per game isn't nothing to uh, shy away from. No, and I think with the injury troubles he had last year and it's kind of lingered into this year, I think if he does really well over the last – third of the season he could definitely put himself in like second or third in that conversation he would have to play absolutely lights out he would have to be on that 403 point pace that he was on um the year he won mvp sorry my cattle's freaking out again i'm gonna say um, did you buy did you buy like an elephant now or something too did yeah i did i did this week? nice yeah we're, we got some new animals in the okay. farm next week will be a rooster so gotcha. be prepared for that okay but yeah going back to steph curry who is just a chef literally he's Just insane. And I hope that he will put himself into the MVP conversation, especially with the stretch of the past seven. And I think this is really where they start to get the cogs rolling and everyone learns how to play together in this Golden State offense. That's without Clay Thompson, doesn't really have a true big man. Wiseman just went down. So they're trying to figure out this, uh, the identity for this team moving forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's definitely huge for them, especially trying to make that playoff push. Um, I know we were talking about guys who scored 30 points per game being a huge stat. So just wanted to throw out my hitter of the week. Uh, I have, and I've been waiting a long time to announce this man as my hitter of the week, but I have Jason Tatum 
of the Boston Celtics. Yes, I said I was going to sound like a homer this podcast, but come on. The man just won Eastern Conference Player of the Week over the last week, averaged about 31 and a half a game, eight and a half rebounds a game, had that huge 53-point game against Minnesota. Celtics lose that game to the worst team in basketball if he doesn't play, so or you know, he doesn't score 53 in all reality. So huge game for him. I did want to expand a little bit. Uh, just over the last 10 games for Tatum, he's had a huge stretch. In those last 10, he's averaging 29.4 a game, eight rebounds a game, 3.7 assists per game, shooting almost 50%, shooting 49.5% uh, from the field. His average game score, now Jordan, here's another analytic stat for you, is game score. So game score, I think we talked about it with Simmons last week in our power rankings, how about an average NBA game is around 10 in the game score column. Mm-hmm. Simmons's was a little bit down Tatum's in this span in that 10 game span was 21.5 which is really good to put that in perspective Ooh. but to put that in perspective a 50 point game got him a game score of 39.3 so really 21 over a 10 game span is great and the Celtics even better are doing well they're seven and three in those last 10 games that I've talked about for Tatum they beat the Bucks. they blew out the Hornets who they're still sitting behind in the standings but a huge win for them beat the Knicks, a huge win against the Knicks last Wednesday when we recorded this podcast, and then a huge, huge come-from-behind victory against the Nuggets on Sunday, led by you know the great defense of the Celtics. Um, I know we're talking about Jason Tatum, but do want to talk about that game Sunday against the Nuggets. Did you happen to catch any of that, Jordan? I know there's baseball going on. It was a 3 o'clock yeah. in the afternoon game, which a lot of people <laughs> aren't watching unless you're a Celtics fan like me. Did you catch any of that? Or I, I did not. I might have seen one or two highlights from it, but it's already out of my brain. Gotcha. Well, basically, I know we were we were pretty high on the Nuggets last week. I think you had them sixth in your power rankings. I had them I eighth. Uh, they they were in the midst of an eight game winning streak. Celtics only scored sixteen points in the thir- in the first quarter. I should say, shot twenty two percent from the field. Now, lucky for me, the Red Sox were firing on all cylinders that day, so I got to see that. That was the day of the big JD Martinez three home. Oh, sorry, JD Martitties. My my apologies, Carabas. Um, <laughs> that was that was the big day of J.D. Martitti's uh, three home run game. Rafael Devers hit two homers. But besides the fact, uh, the Celtics, terrible first quarter, really not a great first half. They got it to within five at the end of the half. And then with two minutes, I want to say, left in the third quarter, they were down 79-65. They went on a 31-3 run against the Nuggets. Jokic, going to say this, Jokic gave up. Jokic was done. He couldn't get a shot over Grant freaking Williams. And I've been on the biggest, I've been the biggest advocate to bench Grant Williams. And he played great defense against Jokic. Tatum had some clutch hoops. Brown started to find his stroke. Rob Williams was, you know, dunks all over the place. It was turning into an all-star game at that point for the Celtics offense. Ended up winning the game. I mean, ended up by 14. Nuggets called a timeout. Jokic wasn't even, you know, in the huddle with them. So Huge win for the Celtics there. They're now two games above 500. And shout out to Romeo Langford. Since his return, the Celtics are four in one in games that he's played. So holy Christ! So Boston's just really rocking the house right now. We've been. It's. I think was it right before the All Star break? I think they were two games above 500 where they're sitting right now. They were sitting at fourth in the East, and we we're like, all right, here it is. They're going to finish top four, and they're still fighting to get out of that playing game. So. We'll see what happens. They play the Trailblazers tonight. They play the Lakers on Thursday. They play the Warriors on Saturday. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about all on the West Coast. So it was good for them to get off on the right foot. I really would be nice to see them win two of the next three games and really try and solidify themselves in the top top six of the East. Yeah, that'd be really cool. You want to hear a uh, fun fact about Jason Tatum's 50-point game? Yes. 
So I'm, I'm sure you probably saw this on ESPN, mm-hmm. but Friday was the first time that a no hitter and a 50 point game have been scored on the same day. And Jason Tatum got one and Zach Levine got a 50 point game. And obviously Musgrove, who we'll talk about later, yep. got a no hitter. I did not realize that. Wow. And I mean, I guess speaking of Levine, yeah, he did have that 50 point game still lost though. Still lost, had a 39-point first half, and then they yeah. still ended up losing that game. Uh, but they lost to the Hawks, who we, you have them in your you had them in your top 10. They're rolling right mm-hmm. now. They're still rolling. They are. They're doing still real rolling. well. I, as soon as they fired their head coach or brought in the interim guy, I forget what it is. Hey, cattle. <laughs> Come on. Cattle. Easy, um, easy. We're recording over here. Yeah, my brother just got home, so she's going to be going off for a minute. But yeah, once once the new head coach stepped in, like this has been a completely different Hawks team than what we saw beginning of the year. Yeah, I was gonna say it might be better uh, for the Hawks to re-sign Nate McMillan. I was saying maybe the Celtics could get him if they can't figure it out with Brad Stevens. So definitely, it'll be cool to see what they are able to do with that. Uh, also, I mean, I know we we're talking about the Celtics and they are playing the Portland Trailblazers tonight, the day after the fifty-point games. Enos Canner. Huge game. Mm-hmm. Former Celtics, huge. huge game. 24 points, 30 rebounds. Granted, he was playing the Pistons, but huge game for him. Jordan, did you know there's only been two guys over the last 20 years to do that? Really? Only two? Only two over the last 20 years with a 20-point, 30-rebound game. Yeah, I know there's been a couple guys who do 20-20. 20-20, yeah. But 20-30. 20 do you know who they are? I don't know if you did. You cheat? Did you did you see the Google Doc? Or I, they put it on the Google it's Doc. It's in front of my face right now. But if I were to guess, Dwight Howard would be one of my picks, and then I would. In the last twenty years, it's not Taco would, Fall. It's not Taco I would, Fall. <laughs> I would say Shaq would maybe be the other okay. one on top of my head. Yeah, I, and I have to look back because if and just to date ourselves, I mean, twenty years ago, Shaq was in his prime. Think about that. In 2001, like Shaq was in his prime. So that's nuts. He played a lot. I mean, he still had some great career years after that. Won a championship in 01 and 02 and 06. But the other guy was Kevin Love of the Timberwolves, Cavs. Oh, wow. I, I honestly, and I would have been the opposite of you. I probably would have guessed Kevin Love and not Dwight Howard because I know Kevin Love had a ton of 2020 games when he was in yeah. Minnesota just because they were kind of crappy, but he was just throwing up. Uh, not throwing up, but getting like filling the stat sheet every night. And then Dwight Howard. Yeah. You know what's funny about Dwight Howard? What he is? did it with the Hornets. He didn't do it with Whoa. the Magic. He didn't do it with the Lakers. He didn't do it in Houston. <laughs> he did it in 2018 with the Hornets. That was what That's I thought funny. was crazy. I was like, wow. Exactly. You would have thought he would have done it kind of in his prime, not as a role player yeah. for the Charlotte Hornets. Because <laughs> well, he played with Chris Paul when they were in the Hornets on the same time, right? Or am I thinking no. different? No, no, Chris Paul played for the Hornets. He. No, he was on the Hornets like 2010, 2011. No, Magic. He was on the Magic then, then played for the Lakers for a year. And that's why I'm talking about Chris Paul was 10, 11, right? For the Hornets. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. He was on the Hornets, got traded to the Lakers for like seven hours. Then David Stern vetoed it. Then he went to the Clippers. Okay. Chris Paul. Makes sense. Yeah. So huge game for Ennis Cannon, though, uh, to get back to him. Huge. Because I know we've been talking about him since we brought him up. Like once every couple of episodes, we yeah. talk about how he's not the guy. At thirty rebounds, you got to be a stud to do that. <laughs> yeah. at some point, especially for especially him, over. No, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Especially against someone like Mason Plumlee, who's yeah. been really good this year. Like, oh my god, that's really good to have those numbers. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, he was with the Celtics last year. They really didn't give him much of a chance. He was playing 15, 20 minutes a game. He didn't play much in the playoffs unless they needed some offense. We all criticized his defense here in Boston, but great guy, great team player. Like we said, we've talked about Nurkic a bunch, the, the Trailblazers needing him back. So good for it, Canner, coming off the bench. Going to need him down the stretch if Portland wants to make a run uh, come playoff time. So uh, good to see that for Enos Canner. Good guy. Teammates love him. Love to see those big games from uh you know the role players so Mm -hmm. well remember last week we did power rankings yeah i do remember and you said something specific i said something specific yes they had to win two the suns had to win two in order to be the best team in the nba they they did they did win one they didn't win one they didn't win two okay they did lose to the clippers i'll give you that arguably so it was against the clippers who were a very good team and they're rolling right now clippers are rolling they're doing real well um, and just to go off a couple of things for the Clippers, they have the best record against top six teams in the West. They're eight and three. They have also won 11 out of their last 13. Paul George in the last four, 29.3 points a game, five assists and rebounds per game, shooting almost 54% from the field, shooting 59.3% from three, a 23.2 game score, which is higher than uh, Jason Tatum's. Yes. And he was the Western Conference Player of the Week. And also Rajon Rondo, 4-0 when he plays 7.3 points per game, 4.8 assists per game, which is what you want from a guy like Rondo, more of a bench player this year. And then his plus-minus is plus 14.3 off the bench in those four games. Crazy. It's been huge. He got traded there on the trade deadline. So I think he's been there for five games, only played in four. So huge that they have that rotation coming off the bench. Patrick Beverly broke his wrist a couple weeks ago, so or a couple games ago, I should say. So huge to have Rondo coming off the bench, have that veteran presence. I know we talked about it last week with the Clippers scoring between Zubac, Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris, and I'm blanking on the other guy right now. But huge to have that scoring coming for them off the bench and then that veteran presence in Rajon Rondo as well. Uh, Jordan, throwing it back to the Suns real quick. I just wanted to make a point on the Suns because yep. they hate. They still beat the Jazz, which is no they small did. feat. They did do that at home. Uh, the one thing I just wanted to throw out about that Jazz game was that combined Devin Booker and Chris Paul were 15 of 28 from mid-range against the Jazz. That's pretty huge because the Jazz as a team have given up the lowest two-point field goal percentage, as you can probably imagine, with Rudy Gobert's defensive intensity yeah. in the paint. So the fact, I think it, the Suns may have found something. Now, yes, they did blow a lead. The game did end up going into overtime. They still held on. But I think the Jazz may have found something because if you can hit mid-range shots, because obviously, you know, teams nowadays are shooting a ton of threes. You, we, we talked about Steph Curry earlier, Booker, obviously guys like that who are shooting multiple threes, even Tatum, George is starting to shoot more and more threes. That's going to be a big part of any game, but the jazz defend the three. Well, they give up one of like, I think they're in the top five in terms of lowest three point percentages allowed in the NBA. So being able to hit your mid range shots against this team is going to be huge. So I think Devin Booker and Chris Paul, both great jump shooters may have found something that teams could maybe try and pull, you know, a trick or two out. I'm not saying you're going to be able to beat the jazz by strictly shooting mid range shots. You're going to have to hit your threes. Mm -hmm. but hey when the jazz play a lakers i mean lebron obviously is the best three-point shooter in the world he can find mid-range shots ad has a nice mid-range game never know move the ball around so just saying just saying sun's out guns out yeah sun's out guns out guns out and i would say that the suns are the best team now just because the jazz just lost to the wizards they Um, did at home and that blew that winning streak we were talking about 
Yeah, then and then the and then the mag or not the magic, the Suns beat the uh beat the Wizards on I think two days prior on a Saturday. So just goes to show how a couple days change you can be the Wizards losing against the Suns and then beating the Jazz, who are arguably a better team. But just based on who they played this past week, I would give it to the Suns as the best team right now. Yeah. It's gonna it's I think this playoffs, I know we were all excited about the bubble and we saw what the Suns did down the, down the stretch in the bubble. We saw what the uh, trailblazers did down the stretch. This playoffs is going to be fun. It is. The Western, I, uh, I'm going to say the Western conference playoffs is going to be fun. Yes, for sure. And I just think like with the experience in playoffs, I think the Clippers honestly might end up winning the entire West. Hey, that's what I said at the beginning of the in year. The and playoffs. I yeah. <laughs> It's 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 interesting because right now let, let me pull up the standings. I don't got them in front of me. I mean, obviously, I know the Jazz are still one, Suns two, but let me look it up because I want to see. I think the Clippers are still at three, and then I think Denver's still at four. Yep, Denver yep. four, Lakers five, Blazers six, and then Mavs, Grizzlies, Spurs, and Warriors would be the playing tournament. That would be a pretty fun playing tournament. That would be John Morant. Will that be John Morant, Luca, Game One, Spurs versus Warriors, who have had not recently, but back when the both teams were the top two in the Western Conference not too long ago. So it'd be a good coaching battle between Steve Kerr and Popovich mm-hmm. there. I mean, even in the even in the East right now, we'd get Celtics, Knicks, who have had some great battles, who had a great battle the other day, and then Bulls, Pacers would be interesting. I know those are two kind of more up and coming teams, but yeah. seeing Zach Levine in a one game situation would be. Pretty pretty interesting to see him and Vucevic, and then obviously the Celtics Knicks. We all know the history behind those two storied franchises. Mm. So, oh yeah, um, but especially too, I mean, like the Mavericks get in. Even the Celtics, if they, I mean, I don't want them to have to play in it, but if they get in, I mean, a, a first round, a, a first round Philly Celtics matchup. I know That'd we'd be, be going at it, but I, yeah, we would. <laughs> um, but and I mean, Philly would obviously be favored. They've had a great year. I had some 76ers fans chirping me. I don't. Did I know I, I didn't show it to you. I showed it to our other Philadelphia 76ers fan, Ryan. But I need yeah. to show that to you. So I had some Sixers fans chirping me on Twitter because you know Jason Tatum <laughs> dropped 53. Um, yeah. But I mean, I just, just saw. I'm not saying the Celtics are making a run at the championship this year, but a, a, they're going to give a team a, a trouble in the first round. Yes. If they, I agree. Have, if they play Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Philly, it's going to be a six or seven game series. I know it the Celtics is. have played crappy this year, but don't get them while they're hot. Don't get Jason Tatum mm-hmm. while he's hot. <laughs> no, definitely same not. With Luca, same with Luca. I mean, even if even if Portland drops down out of that top six, even if the Lakers, I mean, they probably won't, but they could. I mean, well, here's the thing about the Lakers: AD set to return within the next week or two, and LeBron's going to follow a couple games after, so mm-hmm. they'll have both of them for the last 15 games. Yeah, as long as they stay healthy, Lakers could easily finish top three in the I West. I think, yeah, because they're, I, yeah, I bring I, them back. I think right now you're not going to see the Jazz really top. Maybe if they fall out of the top seed, they're probably going to stay two. Suns probably going to stay in that top four. Clippers will probably still stay, I think, in the top four. So really, for that four seed, I think it's between Denver, Lakers. You could throw Portland in there. Dallas would need to win a lot of games, and a lot of teams would need to lose a lot of games. Yeah. So I don't think da- Dallas is definitely fighting for that 5-6 seed. I think I could see the Lakers surpassing Denver and just hopping them um, into that four seed. But it's good. It's good. like I said, it's going to be interesting. I mean, we might get the Western Conference Finals from last year in the first round if it's Nuggets-Lakers. Yeah. That'd be interesting. It would be. It would be very interesting. So, um, cool. Well, the other – just kind of quick hit I had on the NBA Lakers the other night, Saturday night, we were just talking about them beat the nets without AD and LeBron. That's awesome. 
That was Love pretty that. huge. Duran Kyrie both did play. Still only played about 26 minutes, which isn't probably what they will be playing come playoff time. They'll probably no. be playing closer to that 35-minute mark, maybe even 40 minutes in a close w- game. Wouldn't be surprised if they both played 45. Yeah, in, in, a, in, a, in a – I mean, hopefully not against the Celtics for their sake, but in no. a, you know, Eastern Conference Finals matchup, obviously NBA Finals matchup, you know it's all go all, all mm-hmm. out there. Drummond had a huge game, 20 points, 11 rebounds, shot 8 of 15 from the field. Talon Horton Tucker, I, I think I'm pronouncing his name right. I've, I've only heard of him a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Had 11 assists in that game. Schroeder had 19 points, and they had a huge second half outscoring the Nets by 22 in the second half. Yeah, which so, ultimately put them over the top. It was a 25-point yeah, margin of victory. Yeah, it was close at halftime. So big win for the Lakers there. It was at home, but to win a game against one of the better teams in the NBA, yes, Harden was out, but still – two talented stars in Durant and Kyrie. Uh, So that'll be interesting to see what goes on in, like I said, in the West. I'd be interesting to look at the stats. How many times all three players have been active for a game and played in a game. I saw, and don't quote me on this, but I saw something the other day that combined, they had maybe played like 168 minutes together or something. (laughs) If that's even, if that's even, because to me, that's, what, there's, I'll have 48, to look it up. there's 48 minutes in a game so that would be like the equivalent of like three and a half games they played together now granted they're not all playing all 48 minutes of every game mm-hmm. that that actually might sound accurate because maybe what that's maybe about six games they played together yeah I, six that, seven that, eight that, that some somewhere in that range could be i could see yeah. that especially too if there was a game like durant got hurt in the middle of the game too like that yeah, would still exactly. technically count harden had that wrist in, or wrist i don't even know at this point too many injuries in the nba for me to follow yeah, up there on. is <laughs> cool any yeah. other NBA hits before we move it over to uh, baseball. No, I'm, I know you're very excited about baseball. Why don't you kick it off with our hitter over there? Got to got to reel in a little bit here. Whew. All right. Um, yeah, I've got the Boston Red Sox seven in a fucking <laughs> row. Let's go. <laughs> Seven wins in a row they won again today against the Twins. Now, I'm not going to get – I'm going to try not to get too overhyped because it's early. It's 10 games into the year. But, hey, they got swept by the Orioles. Everybody, maybe including myself a little bit, was ready to write them off, ride the ship. We heard all the stats. Oh, they haven't been 0-3 at home since Truman was in office. And what have they done? They won seven games in a row on the back of, like I said, J.D. Martini. J.D. Martinez. Now, yes, he didn't have a hit in today's game, but – Last week was the American League Player of the Week. Had a three-home run game against the Orioles on Sunday after having the sniffles on Saturday. Did you hear about that? I don't remember. I don't think I did. So, J.D. had been raking all year. Was it Saturday night? He Or Saturday afternoon, they had a night game on Saturday against Baltimore. Came into the clubhouse with, like, a runny nose. And they they pulled the COVID alarm, and everyone freaked out. And J.D. had to sit out. And then, but and someone like the Red Sox, like Mass Live guy, tweeted it, and everyone's like, "Oh shit, he's gonna be out two weeks. He's been absolutely raking. He's the catalyst of this team." And then the guy followed up with a tweet like ten minutes later, like the Red Sox are expecting him to be back tomorrow. Yeah, that's <laughs> well, good. <laughs> so it was like a ten minute crisis in Boston. But hey, JD, uh, like I said, went hitless today, unfortunately. So his hit streak ended at eight games, but he became the first player in Major League Baseball history with twelve extra base hits in his first eight games. Uh, that was also the most in the first eight games by a uh, AL player. No player had ever had nine straight games, so JD will continue that trend. Uh, prior to Tuesday, uh, overall in the eight games, 472 average, 1583 OPS, 10 runs scored. Like I said, had a three homer game against Baltimore, five total home runs, 
16 RBIs, seven doubles. And as of Sunday night, the Cubs as a team had eight doubles. So JD had almost as many doubles as the team. Now I know this isn't going to, you know, continue forever, but Hey, if JD can get back to the way he was in 2018, 2019 with Alex Cora back at the helm, this team's going to be good. This team's going to be dangerous. Rafi Devers has had a huge stretch since last Tuesday. Uh, He got his first hit of the season and took him about five games, but since then, uh, hit another homer today. So in his last four games, has hit five homers. Absolutely loves hitting at Baltimore. Hit four of the homers there. Had a two-home run game in the same game that J.D. Martinez had his three-home run game uh, and has also scored seven runs. And really, I mean, Mark Bogarts is hitting. Kike Hernandez is coming around. Verdugo had a homer the other night. Vasquez, I, I didn't even have him listed here. I know we talked about him last time with all the clutch hits. You, he was one of your guys to be excited about. Has mm-hmm. been huge. Um, one reliever I do want to talk about, too. Matt Barnes, five games pitched, six innings pitched. Only given up one walk, zero hits, and 12 strikeouts. Got his first save of the season today, really because the Red Sox haven't really needed him to get a save yet this year. Nope. Starting pitching has been great other than the Garrett Richards start on Easter. No pitcher has get, I think no starting pitcher has given up more than three runs. If I'm not mistaken, oh, four. Uh, Pavetta gave up four the other day, but it didn't really matter because they scored 14. Um, so Pavetta has nope. been really good. Avaldi has been really good. Martin Perez has been a great fifth starter. Tanner Houck before they sent him down was really good. Uh, Saramura, I mean, holy shit. We kind of joked about him back in January when the Red Sox signed him. That man cannot miss. That man's like allergic no. to giving up runs. He's been great out of the bullpen. So really, I mean, this offense is great. And this wasn't what we were concerned about. The biggest concern we had everyone in Boston had was the pitching. So not that they're going to continue this all year, but if they can even just be a middle of the road pack pitching team, they're going to be good. Yeah. They're going to be good. I'm not saying they're going to go win the world series right now. I'm not over-exaggerating. I'm trying to reel myself in. But something special about this team. They've already had like three comeback wins. Like I said, I just dropped every player on the team's name. Franchi Cordero, I mean, has had some great great plays, great hits, clutch hits. So look out for the Red Sox. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. No, I'm – I beginning of the season, I was like, yeah, we'll see what they do. Like, they could be a good team. No, I'm scared, bro. I know it's early, <laughs> but I'm like, God damn, this is – I, I told you, it's it's the Red Sox. They win a World Series, they dial they, it back, yeah. they do really bad, and then they either bump back up and then shoot up, or they shoot up right away and win the World Series. And it's yeah. this never-ending roller coaster this team, for the Red Sox. This team reminds me it. a lot. You love it? I, I love it As personally. It's, okay. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> okay, like, I, I realize this. Like, I've been realizing this, like, when Yankees fans talk about the Red Sox, we're like, yeah, they're, like the Red Sox are always good. Like, but like Yankees over the Red Sox, no problem. Whenever the Red Sox talk about the Yankees, they're like, fuck the Yankees, man. New York, fuck, fuck New them. York. Literally, fuck them. like Jeter can shove it up his fucking ass, and A Rod can <laughs> stick it there for him. Literally, it's a cult, and we're just like, yeah, we don't like Boston, but they're a good team. And you, y'all are like, nah, fuck you. Like well, <laughs> the thing is, like, I always, I always respected Jeter, even as a kid. A Rod, oh yeah, not really a huge fan of. But then, like Judge, I, I never had any issues with Judge until the 2018 until got, playoffs. Were you gonna hmm. say until he got good? <laughs> no, until he got his teeth. <laughs> That's who. But <laughs> until the 2018 playoffs, when he walked out of the Red Sox clubhouse after beating them six to one in Game Two in a one-one series, playing New York, New York on the boombox, like walking down mm-hmm. the tunnel of Fenway, and I like that. I don't hate Judge for it because it legit motivated the Red Sox after every series they won, they played that song. Mm-hmm. When we were on the bus ride or the T ride to the Red Sox parade, that song was playing in the T. <laughs> so shout out to Judge for motivating the 2018 That's Red Sox. Awesome. I think they scored 16 runs against the Yankees that game. So I don't hate Judge. I don't hate Stanton. I, I, 
I'm pretty sure you got we, scored as like 20 to 3 we, in that series. Yeah, we what we need though is we need another we need the Red Sox and Yankees both to be good again. Because it, it yes. hasn't really happened. 2018, we got it a little bit. And then the Yankees won the division last year and the Red Sox were in order to be found. There was last that stretch of time, time the Red Sox were good. Maybe 2004 was the last time. Yeah, I mean, 2018. They played in the ALCS. Yeah, and 2018, I'll give it to them. There was a good yeah. playoff series. Both teams won 100 games. So yeah. definitely you could feel it a little bit, but then it just declined right away. So I think yeah. baseball needs both teams to be good again because like we're seeing what's going on out west with the Padres and the Dodgers. It's like... You, you we get need that East Coast thing. We need, we we need it back on the East Coast because, like, in the Central, you don't really get it too much. I mean, like, the Cubs-Cardinals kind of have a rivalry. Brewers-Cubs, you see it. I mean, Astros-Yankees yeah. has jumped up. Rays-Yankees has actually become a pretty good rivalry, yeah. I think. Well, Rays are killing us. I Rays think we're 2-16 and 16 against the Rays yeah. in the past two years. It's wild. Including playoffs. Like, we yeah. suck against them. We used to demolish the Rays Everyone used to demolish year. them because they used yeah. to be the Devil Rays. Yeah, <laughs> and, then, and then they true. changed their name and they got good. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, keeping it out on the East Coast, I, I talked a lot about the Red Sox. Who do you have as your, your hitter of the week? I have Ronald Acuna I as love mine. And as of last week, J.D. Martinez was awesome, did a great job. But according to analytics, he was the best hitter in the past four games. He's hitting 667 average, has 10 hits, three doubles. Oh, this is a 15 at-bats, by the way. He was walking okay. three times and then... <laughs> So had a sack plate appearances. Uh, 19 plate appearances. 19 he had three walks and a sack fly. fly. Okay. Yep. So 15 at bats, quote unquote, 10 hits, uh, three doubles, one triple, two home runs, four RBIs, six runs, a stolen base, and an OPS of 2.084, the highest in the MLB in that That's stretch. Really um, he has the highest average, obviously the highest on base percentage, and as I just said, the highest OPS. Um, Braves almost swept the Phillies, if not for that bullshit save oh, call. We're gonna get to that. We're gonna oh, get boy. to that. I can't wait to talk about that. They're two and two in this four-game stretch. Should be three and one. They lost to the Marlins last night, five to three in extras, which is fine. And he was his three walks in that game, that four-game stretch, all came against the Marlins last night, uh, wow. which is probably could have led to their win. He uh, he was one for two last night, walked on the three others. Did so. Speaking of that, before we get into the shittiness of that, did you uh, did you see the beginning of that Braves-Phillies game at all? Any highlights? Or I did not. Uh, Acuna led off. I think I actually tweeted it. Acuna. Oh, was this led like off. where he got to first base and on like a ground ball seconds. to shortstop? Yeah. Like, like on a and then and then Albie's the next pitch hit a homer. So yeah. Acuna Acuna's and then he also hit a home. He had a piss missile that game. Yeah. It went. It got out. It tied the game because Harper hit I did a bomb. See this then. Harper hit yep. a bomb in I think the fifth or sixth inning because that was a Sunday night baseball game. So obviously I was watching that one because. Mm-hmm. Not like the Bruins were losing eight to one to Washington or anything. Like no, that. But, nothing like that. <laughs> um, yeah, it was uh, it was really cool. Acuna's definitely making his way up the face of baseball list. Uh, he he's been. I mean, he's think crazy. about it. Since he's gotten there, they've won the division every year. They've been in the playoffs every year. So they can get back in there. He he really is going to be up there uh, with the with the Trouts and the Betzes of the world. So yeah, um, yeah. So I guess I guess it's your honorary shitter of the week but it's also my honorary yes, shitter I, of the week it's a joint shitter, it's a of, the joint week. shitter we, of the week we haven't done this in a month we, we haven't, haven't had a shitter we this really is worth it and for those of you who are wondering where the shitters went we felt like we were kind of digging out of our ass for stuff like in the nba we we're like let's talk about the pistons and it's like no and one gives rockets. a shit about the like, pistons we know. And the rockets. <laughs> we know they suck but this and again we know this sucks but so baseball do you want me to kind of give a timeline of last yeah, weekend or so last weekend I guess we'll keep it. It was all in the NL East, too. 
Uh, I think it was Friday afternoon. Mets were playing the Marlins. Michael Conforto came up for the Mets with the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth. Pitch comes in over the pitch is over the plate. And the umpire says he gets hit by the pitch. Now you can see in the replay, Michael Conforto just throws his front arm out there, just throws his front arm out there. Ball was over the plate. Wouldn't have been a strike if the catcher caught it, but it was like a high ball. Like it was over the plate. Conforto had to reach. That ended the game. Marlins win. Marlins Twitter was not happy about it. Marlins players and fans, obviously, were not happy about it. That's something that the umpires can't review. You can review if a player gets hit by a pitch, but you're not allowed to review really like if it was like if it would have been a strike or if it was over the plate. That's something you're intentional. Intentional. Yeah. You can't review a player leaning into a pitch, essentially. Yes. That's and umpire Mets, discretion. You said uh, Marlins won. It's Mets won. That Mets game. won. Marlins My bad. Were Marlins yep, were pissed off. Yep. No problem. Just wanted to clarify. Cool. Thank you. Um, and then Sunday night, what Jordan was just talking about, Philly's great game. Great game, by the way, too. It was 6-6. There was home. I, I think it was – I think Freeman hit a homer. Albies hit a homer. I think Real Muto may have hit a homer. Harper hit a homer. Like, everyone was hitting homers. Great mm-hmm. game. Back and forth. Two division rivals. Top of the ninth inning. Phillies, Alec Bohm, one of my guys to be excited about, comes out, hits a double, gets on second base, gets over to third with, he was on third, one out, and then there was a medium shallow fly ball to the left fielder, Marcelo Zuna. He makes the catch, throws it in. Now there's a bang-bang play at the plate. In real time, you couldn't really tell if Bohm's foot maybe scraped the plate or not. Travis Starr now, the catcher for the Braves, catches the ball, tags Alec Bohm, and the umpire calls him safe. Right then and there, no one really said anything. But it's bottom of the ninth, they're able to review it. Or top of the ninth, I should say, they're able to review it. Umps review it. You can clearly tell, clearly tell that Alec Bohm did not touch home plate. Catcher did a great job catching it, got his foot in front, Bohm slid, never touched the plate. After what, maybe a three-minute review, umpires come back and call him safe. And Atlanta, if anyone's ever been to Atlanta, has watched the game in Atlanta. Those fans are some of the most passionate fans, throwing shit on the field, booing, all this stuff. The manager, Snicker, came out. He was pissed. Braves ended up losing that game 7-6. Oh. So it was not a good weekend for Major League Baseball umpires. And Joe West, longtime umpire, came out. I think they're wearing, like, the umpires are wearing, like, white wristbands for support or something. I don't like it. <laughs> no. Definitely and, not. And I will say... Like that, when, when a play gets reviewed, it's not those umpires making the call. It's a replay center back in, I think it's in New York, New Jersey. It might be in the same place as the NBA one. I think it's somewhere mm-hmm. in there. So it's guys yeah. sitting in a booth making a call. Like, how do you fuck that up? Like, I, I can kind of see the Mets Marlins one. Like, okay, like, it's pretty shitty, but like human error. But like this one, like how? There's like five replays of him not touching the plate. Yeah, I just, silly, man. And it's, it's similar to the one that happened in the Red Sox game when they played the Orioles, where you couldn't tell if he touched the plate or not. And it was, they yes. called him out initially. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, I thought he was safe live and on the replay. I thought there was just enough to show. Mm-hmm. But if, if it was a safe call on the field, would have been safe. And because it was an out call on the field and it was too close, they kept it in out. Um, but I thought it was a run. This is a similar situation where it's like, it's close, but replay showing you it's the opposite of what the call was. Like yeah. it's clear as day. There was there was one angle where like someone could have made an argument that Alec Bohm's like toenail touched the like, plate, like, like the at, nub like, of a the cleat. Nub. So like some, so like what MLB could say is like, oh well, you know, it wasn't conclusive. But I mean, really, like it, like 
the conclusiveness thing in all of sports just mm. it, it grinds my gears because it's like you know it should be that call but then they yeah. call it what they called it on the field because it wasn't conclusive but you know what the right call should be like it was one of those yes. it was one of those like there was like maybe a 0.2 percent chance he was safe but since they called it safe on the field and there wasn't a hundred percent chance that he was out like they're gonna call him safe so yes. that sucks Hopefully the Braves don't lose the division by a game to the Phillies or else there's going to be some mad people in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious because their Twitter that day said, final, Philly 7, Brave 6, apparently. I guess. Oh, apparently. <laughs> yeah, like they even knew that like it was bullshit. Twitter, like, uh, MLB Twitters have been off hinge lately. I think it was the Marlins. The Marlins. It was the Marlins one that said like, oh, Mets win 3-2. And it was a picture of Conforto getting hit. And it was like, yeah. I guess. Like, <laughs> they've had some, uh, not a lot of chill lately. So pretty no, cool there. Not. I guess honorary hitters. We have a couple like honorary hitters you could say of the week. Joe Musgrove. No yeah, can I talk about that? Because Please I do. have some cool stats on that. So Joe Mu- Musgrove is the first Padres pitcher to throw no hitter. So now every team has a pitcher who's thrown a no hitter in their history at some point. Fun fact, Victor Caratini, who was his catcher that game, caught the last no-hitter from 2020. So he's wow. caught two consecutive no-hitters. I don't think that's ever been done before. I don't think MLB. so either. That's like a crazy stat on two different teams because he was part of that mm. U Darvish trade. Keep talking. I'm going to do some research. You're good. So just to go off a couple th- a couple of pitches that happened that game, um, Musgrove no, is known for his slider and his cutter and how similar they are, but how little they move across the plate in difference. He normally throws maybe 12% to 15% of his pitches are either fastball, a sinker, or a changeup. And that's normally the case. In this game, he threw eight fastballs, seven sinkers, and seven changeups. Uh, that's 7%, 6%, and 6% for each pitch based on what he threw for this game. of his pitches were sliders, 34 total. 25% were cutter and curveball, 28 each. So he chose moving pitches a lot more than just chucking the ball down the plate, which you don't see a lot of no-hitters. Normally, guys are throwing gas early, then they change it up, and then they throw gas at the end of the game to make it quick and catch guys off guard. He threw the slider, cutter, curveball almost exclusively for the last three innings. I'm pretty sure he threw one fastball from the seventh to the ninth inning, Everything else was a slider, cutter, or curveball, and mostly the slider. Like the slider was deadly because he was throwing the curve and the cutter for most of the beginning of the game, and that slider just gives it that extra bit of movement. And it's yeah. not—it's not as steep and it's not as flat as a curveball and cutter, respectively. But it was oh my god, he was just on another level um, that night. Ten Ks, one hit by pitch on 112 pitches. And he also had a really great first start against uh, the Diamondbacks. Six innings pitch, did hit three batters, um, but threw 78 pitches, AKs, and no walks. I think he gave so, up three hits. Not three oh, hits gave back. up three hits. Sorry, yeah. sorry. That's, no, all good. I don't know why I read that hit by pitch. Yeah, but no, three hits. Good. So in two starts, only three hits allowed. Yeah. And one no of those earned, is a no-hitter. And no earned runs. He was that nope. – I mean, that hit by pitch, he would have had a perfect game. If it wasn't yeah, for that. he would have. No errors were made, no walks. Then uh, it's pretty interesting, too. I mean, you feel good for Musgrove. Uh, grew up 20 minutes outside of San Diego, so for him to be the first Padre to do it's pretty awesome. We, we, we talked about it a lot on this show earlier with the signings of Darvish and, or the trades for Darvish and Snell or someone else, not name them, to 
get some pitching credit and and get some rewards is, is pretty amazing for him. So shout out to Musgrove yeah. um, for the first no hitter of the 2021 season. I'm sh- well, I shouldn't say I'm sure. Cause these things are kind of crazy. You'll see no hitters like happen. What? Like the same week. And then you won't see another one for a year. Like it's, yeah, it's pretty crazy it's how crazy. it happens. Cause it's not really one of those things that you can kind of time. It just happens. A couple of years ago, wasn't there like nine in a three month stretch? There was or something, something like crazy. Twenty ten, I think, and don't quote me on twenty ten had a lot. Twenty ten, I, I think we had three or four perfect games, and there's yes. only twenty six perfect games in baseball history. Yeah. So and for those who don't follow baseball, a perfect game is no walks, no hit by pitches, and no hits allowed. Twenty seven up, no twenty seven down. Yeah. Basically, you face yeah. all twenty seven guys. No one gets on base for any reason. Yeah. So um cool well i did find out uh your the answer to your question about guys who caught back-to-back no hitters but i'm gonna save that for trivia Ooh. Yeah, so that means someone has done it. someone has done it maybe wow. two guys have done it uh cool well Ooh. let's Is, see was one of them for the red Sox? it's gonna give it away if i tell you who did it <laughs> i know been for the yankees it could have been for the yankees <laughs> The Yankees have had a Could've few guys been. catch multiple. Oh. I was just looking at it. Um, let's see what uh, else. Wait, in a row? In a row. No way. That's okay. Or okay. back to back. No, no, back to back. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. You ever hear about Brent Hemingwell Jr. before? I have no idea who the hell that is. I didn't hear about him either till the other day, but uh, I pretty feel good story for him. Not really too much to kind of say about it, but prior to Sunday. So he pitched Sunday, came up for the Rays, got called up Saturday, and then pitched Sunday against the Yankees and the Yankees extra inning win. Came in. The last time he pitched was September 19th of 2017 in a AAA championship game. He hadn't pitched in four really four, three and a half, four seasons, call it what you want. He's had four elbow surgeries in that time. So 1,300 days to his last pitch in a competitive baseball game that wasn't spring training. He came in, made his MLB debut against the Yankees and threw two perfect innings, no hits, no walks. Uh, Had a great game for him. Uh, Did get sent down right after the game, but um, for nothing bad, obviously, just kind of roster space and things like that. But wanted to give a yep. shout out to Brent Honeywell. Great story there. We all know how those arms in the Tampa Bay system look. The big sexy Tyler Glass now. We love it there. So good to see him. If you're if you're getting called up in this Rays bullpen, you're probably pretty good. So good for him to get back uh, on the field and pitch for the first time since we were juniors in college. Mm-hmm. What else? That's actually crazy i was gonna say i 1300 days 13 and it was exactly 1300 days like it wasn't one more one last like exactly 1300 days to his last pitch in a competitive game he came in and did awesome so good for him um grom (laughs) the monstrosity of the new york mets the grom oh my god so two two games he's pitching two games 14 innings how many how many runs you think he gave up I'm gonna maybe three. Yeah, maybe three. Four. No, he gave up one. He, <laughs> he gave, gave up, up one. one run, and the Mets are zero and two in his starts, and he's zero and one. He boy. threw eight innings the other day, I think, against the Marlins. Had like a fourteen strikeout game. Was great. Lost. Uh, had a great game against. I think it was the Phillies. They ended up losing that game. I mean, only giving up two walks. It's. You think you think you're the Mets? You trade for Lindor, you get Carrasco. You think every the sky is gonna like reverse for you, and it just 
shits the bed. Like, come on, yeah. man. Um, I had some stats on DeGrom, though. Yeah, hit it. So, over DeGrom's career, so since 2014, he's had 47 career double-digit strikeout games. What do you think the Mets' record is? How many wins do you think the Mets have in those games? In 47 games? In 47, 10, where your starting pitcher has 10 or more strikeouts. So your pitcher's on that day, usually. I'd say like 35, 36. So 36 and, yeah, that would be like 36, 36 and, 11, and 11, 35 and 12. Yeah, they're 25 and 22. What? They're 25 <laughs> and 22. Now ready for this one. Now, since 2018, DeGrom has won two Cy Young Awards in both 2018 and 2019. He started 78 games. His personal record in those games are 25 and 20, which isn't a great win-loss record, but that's why that's not the most important stat for a starting pitcher. 503 innings pitched, 2.06 ERA. Elite. His whip is under one, so 0.936 walks and hits per inning, 11.6 strikeouts per nine. The Mets have a losing record in games that Jacob DeGrom starts. <laughs> He's won two Cy Young Awards. He's right now probably on pace oh, for boy. his third. And the Mets have a record below six games below 500. They almost made the playoffs Yikes. in 2019. I bet you if they won some of these games, they probably would have made the playoffs. Been a probably. wild card team. Probably That's maybe not disgusting. the Nationals out. Like, it's crazy. It's crazy. You think, and, and we said it. We thought the Mets, oh, it's going to be their year. They got Lindor. They got Carrasco. Uncle Stevie's, like, wallet's wide open. They were in the running for Springer. They were in the running for Bauer. And now I know why Bauer didn't want to go there because he'd be 0-2 right now, too, probably. Yeah, he would. <laughs> oh, my God. That's oh, disgusting. Jeez, it's nuts. I feel bad for the guy. Yeah. But they just won an extras. And they did. Their doubleheader, four to three. Okay. All right. Well, Degrom didn't pitch though, so that's probably why. Nope. Trevor May got the win, believe it or not. Ooh, good for Trevor May. I like Trevor yep. May. I wish the Reds. Me I was too. hoping the Red Sox got him. He he throws gas. He's a good arm. Mm-hmm. He's solid. Um, yeah, he is very solid. Let's see. Padres and Dodgers both off the hot hot starts. Padres best ten game start since two thousand nine. Yep. Gonna be interesting to see what happens there. Did you see the Dodgers ring ceremony at all? Oh my God, Joe, Joe Kelly! Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> I shared that. I'm like, that was That's awesome, hilarious. That was great. Him happy from. I'll say I'm happy for Mookie. I'm happy for Mookie. I'm really happy for Clayton Kershaw though. He got yeah. probably the biggest ovation. So nice for him to get that chip off his shoulder. Finally, definitely first ballot Hall of Famer. Did you see yep. the box that the rings came in? Yeah, that's like the nuts. four minute montage. Yeah. That's that's pretty sick. Next level, man. We're in yeah. the future. Yeah, I got to hit up LeBron since now he owns the Red Sox and see, you know, you know yeah. when we win one of these days, if LeBron can get that, you know, done Speaking for Speaking of owners, how about uh, Alex Rodriguez? Did we talk about this last week, Alex Rodriguez? No, he, he did goal? it this weekend. Yeah, yeah, he did it this weekend. Taking bought the Timberwolves. Bought, yeah, Timberwolves and Lynx, that billionaire. And the Minnesota Lynx. That was, it was a joint, it's a joint group. They're, they're buying yes. both teams in Minnesota, both basketball teams, WNBA and NBA. Good for him. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the... It's going to be – I wonder, like, him and LeBron, like, sit down and, like, talk about the teams they own. I wonder if they, they yeah. ever have those conversations. I doubt it, though. That would be interesting. It would be. Um, Let's see. Quick other hits before we head over to the NFL, unless you had anything else, Jordan. No, I'm good. Um, Byron Buxton off to a hot start. Obviously, you know, he played the Red Sox today, so he didn't do so well. But 
Um, in his first eight games before today, had five homers. He hit only 13 homers in all of 2020 and only 10 in all of 2019. So off to a hot start, one of the better hitters in baseball to start the year. And then we had some other great pitching performances too. I know we talked about Musgrove and DeGrom, but Lance Lynn in his first start in Chicago as a White Sox, five hits, 11 strikeouts through a complete game shutout, zero walks. He hasn't given up an earned run in his White Sox tenure yet, so that's great for him. Yep. And then Tyler, the sex lord, Glass now. I know we talked about him a little bit last time because I saw him pitch live, but had 14 strikeouts last night against the Rangers, nine against the Red Sox last week in 19.2 innings pitched this year, has only given up one earned run. He's averaging about a .5 whip and a 13.3 strikeouts per nine innings. And you know what's wild about that, Sat Jordan? What is? He his strikeouts per nine inning were higher last year than they are this year. And he's Whoa. doing what he's doing this year. He had a 14.3 strikeout per nine last year, but his walks number were high. So I'm sure Tyler Glasnow will take a lower, um, a lower, sorry, a lower strikeouts per nine uh, if his walks are down. So good for him. Going to be scary in the A at least. Um, but that pretty much wraps up baseball. We got some interesting series coming up this week that we'll get to in the late hits as well. And I mean, I guess, mm-hmm. I guess baseball, Babe Ruth did murder his wife and we will, we will get to that. That's crazy. Yeah. But yeah. even crazier news came out yesterday. Julian Edelman retires from the National Football League after 11 seasons with the New England Patriots. Jack, Pain, I will let agony you, even. <laughs> I will let you take it up on this oh one. Tell us about God. Julian Edelman. It's sad because since we've started recording this podcast, we, I've lost Edelman and Pedroia, who were probably two of my favorite guys. It, it's kind of like the same thing. Like, David Ortiz and Tom Brady are probably like the first two guys you think about of our era, like my era since what, 2003 to 2019. I mean, I know Ortiz retired in 2016, but you think of Brady and you think of Ortiz as like, those were the two faces of the franchise. But Pedroia was obviously up there for the Red Sox. He was honestly, Ortiz is my favorite. Pedroia was my second favorite. The mm-hmm. Patriots, Edelman's always been my favorite. I loved Gronk. Yeah. I loved Brady. Edelman was like my guy. I loved Edelman. So this hurts to see. I mean, I'm happy for him. He, It sucks, though, a little bit, too, because it wasn't on his own terms. You know, he wasn't completely healthy. You saw he failed the physical, which could have just been the Patriots and him kind of agreeing because, you know, you don't just fail a physical and then come out with a video on a director's chair two hours yeah, later. you don't. But it's tough because same thing with Pedroia. Injuries. I keep saying Pedroia because that's how all Boston people say it. Pedroia. It's, it's tough with the injuries. He didn't go out on his own terms. Didn't have a great season last year. Didn't make the playoffs last year. So... Tough for him. I guess the biggest like debate and, you know, great career. I mean, before we even get into any debates, great career, 620 career receptions, second all-time in Patriots history behind Wes Welker, 36 touchdowns, 6,822 yards, averaged about 11, 11 yards per catch. Uh, in the playoffs, 19 career playoff games, 118 receptions, uh, second all-time behind Jerry Rice, 1,442 receiving yards, second all-time behind Jerry Rice. Uh, only five touchdowns was a little bit surprising. I thought he had more, but I guess just mm. those clutch time catches and touchdowns make you think he had more. Had that clutch pass TD against the Ravens in the 2014 divisional game. And then obviously the Super Bowl 53 MVP. Edelman too, just throwing it out there. Great punt returner. Back when he yes. was like, a, not even a rookie, but his first couple of years in the league had to play defensive back in playoff games in their 2011 Super mm-hmm. Bowl run um, when they ended up losing to the Giants. So Who did he yeah. sack, McNabb? I thought it was Foles. I think Foles, Foles. was at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. But 
really just the ultimate team player. You want to talk about the Belichick way. I know we talk about Brady and, you know, he's excited to win the next one, but really Edelman is what that embodies, able to really lace up, play any position that the coaches need. Uh, team player, like I said, his teammates love him. I know he got arrested that one night with Paul Pierce, but now after seeing what happened with Paul Pierce, that's all Paul Pierce's fault. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> went down. I think he missed all the 2017 season, I believe, with the torn ACL. And you could tell the yep. difference. They lost in the Super Bowl that year. They had him in 2016 and 2018, and they won the Super Bowl. He was hurt mm-hmm. in 2015. They didn't win the Super Bowl. He was there in 2014. So you could realistically say, I mean, I guess he didn't. No, actually, 2019 season, he did play every game, but. Could have made the argument for a few years there. If Edelman played a full 16 games, Patriots could have had five straight Super Bowls. I they could have. I don't think that's – I mean, that's obviously very tough to do. Three out of five is tough to do. But yeah. Edelman – and obviously Gronk was there, but he was the best receiver on three Super Bowl winning teams. He was. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> and he's – it's very rare you see a guy move up from the six-string receiver on the roster to a starter within four years and then dominate from the time you're a starter to the yeah. time you retire. Like, just an absolute animal. And I love watching him play his he, – he's just a great ball player. Like, he's what you want in a football athlete. Yeah, college, you know? I mean, college quarterback, so he knows he, – and he knows the game. That's the thing. He was smart about it. Mm. Seventh-round pick, like you said, six, six on the depth chart wide receiver, was playing defensive back. So – Sad to see him go. I mean, he's gonna be active in the community. We we know we all know Julian Edelman. He's gonna he's gonna show up on like sports talk radio here in Boston. Maybe he'll do something with ESPN. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'd be good in the booth. Who knows? But great career yeah, for Edelman. Big advocate for the Jewish community within the Very. NFL. He's really he's really brought light to anti-Semitism and just really like going at that and not even going after like you need to stop that. Like hey. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about it. Like, where are these thoughts coming from? Like, just very inclusive with this language, which is Mm -hmm. really neat to see. I don't think we've really seen an athlete take that approach when things come up like this. Normally, it's like, you need to stop. We need to advocate against it. Edelman never, obviously, he's going to advocate against it, but he's going to do it in a collaborative educational effort, which is really neat. And I think we can all learn from that in all aspects of life to be more collaborative and be more just trying to learn from one another in all life factors in general. Absolutely. Now he's class act hoping he sticks around somewhat. Like I said, is active in the football community. I'm sure he will be. I hope he still makes some epic hype videos as well. Cause he had the best yes. Sunday hype. I know Brady had some here Ooh. and there, but I really liked Edelman's. Uh, he had some funny great. ones too. He had those like intro theme songs, family matters, all that stuff. Um, before we get into the draft, you might not have an answer right now, but is, is that a hall of famer? As of right now, I'm going to say no. I don't even think he's a second ballot Hall of Famer. Maybe a third or fourth, depending on who gets in before him. But if Heinz Ward is not a Hall of Famer, Edelman cannot be a Hall of Famer. That's just where I stand. Because Heinz Ward, overall, besides playoffs, Heinz Ward was one of the best receivers of his era. And I'm not saying Julian Edelman wasn't the best receiver of his era. But what the guys Heinz Ward was playing with, at the beginning of his prime towards the end of his prime and the amount of receivers that are in that umbrella, like, you know, guys like Reggie Wayne, Calvin Johnson, Andre Johnson, like those are big time names. Anquan Bolden is part of that list. Larry Fitzgerald. Um, I don't know if you yeah. Larry Fitzgerald, Steve Smith, um, Randy Moss, Moss yeah. in his prime. Like, <laughs> Terrell there's Owens. A lot of, yeah, Ocho literally there were so many good, TJ Hushman's on. <laughs> no, definitely not. But 
there's a lot of really good names in the list. And I'm not saying Edelman didn't have great competition. Antonio Brown and Julio Jones, two of the best receivers we've ever seen over a decade span. Calvin Johnson was still playing during that time. Um, up-and-coming receivers like, not, not Stephon Diggs, but early in his career, Stephon Diggs was like, whoa, who's this fifth-round stud? You know what I mean? Um, so I just think in that time, tight end was a much more prominent position in Edelman's era rather than receivers, which was the position he played compared to Heinz Ward. Yeah. So I think if Heinz Ward gets in, then I'm like, okay, Edelman should be the next guy in besides maybe Reggie Wayne and Anquan Bolden. But if Heinz Ward never gets into the Hall of Fame, Julian Edelman should never be in the Hall of Fame. So I'm yes and no on this. I think it depends on what you want. But Edelman is the second best playoff receiver ever. Yes. That's that's that, another conversation. That's a fact. Like, yeah. That's the that's the tough part. Cause like, all right. You think do you think Eli Manning's a Hall of Famer? I know we're comparing different positions here, but I, I would say yes, just because of what he brought to New York and made not so great. Like Plasco Burris was a good receiver in Pittsburgh. He made Plasco Burris a great receiver. Odell Beckham was not highly talented coming out of college. He made Odell Beckham one of the best receivers in the league, and he's done nothing since he's – I'm not going to say not done nothing because he did get hurt this year and he had 1,000 yards in his first year in Cleveland. But he was a much more effective receiver when he was in Cleveland. Mario Manningham did nothing anywhere else. Um, Hakeem Nix did nothing. After he left the Giants, yeah. like hmm. interesting like, about Burris, what you said. I, I just pulled up the numbers here. Yeah, oh, interesting. I mean, he had two thousand yard receiving seasons in Pittsburgh, and then two mm-hmm. in the Giants. I mean, he had a huge two thousand five, his first year with the Giants, probably yeah, one of the better years of his career. Yeah, um, that two thousand two with Pittsburgh were his top two yeah. years. I think when you think about Plaxico Burris, you think of him in a Giants uniform, not a Steelers uniform. I think also of him Victor Cruz. His leg. That's pretty. Yeah, funny. true. Yeah, true. Victor Cruz is another guy, incredible athlete, and Eli Manning's putting the balls perfectly out there for him for, to get him in space and making. Because I think Eli Manning, statue wise, is a borderline Hall of Famer. But when you turn on the tape, and yes, he made some dump throws, but all quarterbacks make dump throws at some point in their career. Um, Eli Manning made good receivers into solid slash great receivers, which is why I would put him into the Hall of Fame. See, my thing with Eli, and I'm not comparing, I mean, a little bit comparing him and Edelman, and you're not making these arguments, but some people, oh, well, you know, the two Super Bowls. They think about the two Super Bowls. And it's like, uh, all right. Super Bowl's a team achievement, unless you're Tom Brady and can go to another team that's already stacked and then – but and, and I agree with you, but that's what I'm saying is there's people who make that argument and that's like their argument. They're like, well, he was kind of a because in reality, I mean, he was a he had some really great years. He did lead the league in interceptions three times, which I'm not going to knock him on because Brett Favre threw a ton more interceptions than he did. Obviously, and he has the record for most interceptions by a rookie. Exactly. Like never threw more than 35 touchdowns. Nope. Rivers had a better touchdown to interception ratio than he did. So. The thing is, and it, this is more so for the people who are going to be, well, you know, Eli Manning won two Super Bowls. If that's your argument, then Julian Edelman's a Hall of Famer because he was yes. the best. He was the best receiver on three winning, three Super Bowl winning teams. Yes, in 2014, Gronk was there, had a great year. You can make that argument. 2016, Gronk was hurt, was not there. Hogan and Amendola, I mean, Amendola only showed up in the playoffs for the Patriots, had some huge moments there. Brandon LaFell wasn't better than him. So Julian Edelman was the best receiver on three Super Bowl winning teams. It's 
looking at the numbers, comparing it to everybody else, he probably is not a Hall of Famer. But if if guys are going to start getting in, and I know Eli had some mediocre stats. I mean, he's eighth all time in passing yards, but you're going to see Mahomes and Deshaun Watt. Like you're going to see these guys just skyrocket up, just because that's the game it is now. Like, and and it's moving to 17 games now. So all it's these moving to set, yeah, exactly, even even more so. So I mean, Edelman had his injury troubles, which can't. It's tough to make. So. I, I think if he's a Hall of Famer, people there's going to be people – either way, there's going to be people who are mad either way. I think he could get in. I think Heinz Ward is an all-time better receiver than Julian Edelman. Now, playoff-wise, mm-hmm. Edelman's the second. So that helps his case. It doesn't hurt his case. I think Heinz Ward is a Hall of Famer, so I do think Julian Edelman is a Hall of yeah. Famer. Yeah, I agree. But I, I think Heinz Ward is a Hall – like, I think he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I, I think if Heinz Ward doesn't get in, gets in and Julian Edelman doesn't, that's a disservice to Edelman. But if – if one gets in, the other has to get in. Yeah, and I agree. One of them doesn't get in, none of them should get in. And I that's agree. Because they're similar players, just one was really good in playoffs, one was really good in the regular season. And Heinz like, Ward, didn't he win a Super Bowl MVP too? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he did. Because Holmes, Holmes won the – San Antonio Holmes won the one in 08. Yeah, 08 the Cardinals. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Hans me does. Best – one of the best catches in NFL history. Very. Like, crazy. Very. And we were talking about the Eli Manning kick. Eli Manning and those mm. catches. So let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, um, uh, you want to go draft next? We got some draft uh, prospects. Let me just, yeah, or, let me run through the transactions this cool. week because there, there have been a couple big ones. Cool. Uh, Bucks signed Giovanni Bernard. So sorry for the fantasy Bucks owners. Uh, you're going to have some tough decisions to make. He goes there as the tentative third down running back for passing situations. Panther signed A.J. Boye to play opposite Dante Jackson. That's going to be really good for them. Bengals signed Thaddeus Moss, who gets reunited with Joe Burrow. I really like this. That's the Bengals huge. don't have that many good tight ends on their roster. Um, C.J. Uzama is probably arguably their best tight end on that roster. And when you're saying he's your best tight end, there's a couple of flags <laughs> there. Raiders bring back Carl Joseph, who was their first-round pick, I believe, in 2016. Um, I thought he was the best safety coming out of the draft that year, better than Keanu Neal. But now both are kind of not journeymen. Carl, uh, Keanu Neal is going to the, um, the, Keanu Neal. the Cowboys. No, Cowboys. he's going to the Cowboys. Carl Joseph went from the Raiders. I believe he went to the Browns for a year. Now he's back uh, in Vegas. And then the Seahawks are re-signing Demarius Randall and moving him from safety to corner to fill the void that was left by Shaq Griffin. So, or Shaquille, I should say. So some big moves. Oh, and the Cardinals signed James Conner, James Conner, Conner yeah. for a good one-two punch with him and Chase Edmonds. Um, if he stays healthy, I think it's a great signing. If he doesn't stay healthy, then I think Chase Edmonds is more than ready um, to take up the rock and do what he can be, to lead the Cardinals one offense. Guy. Yeah, be yeah. number one guy. In the, I uh, like I like Chase Edmonds for you. I'm not just for mm-hmm. you guys. I think he's a really good running back. Yeah, I love um, it. I really, I think the biggest move that you talked about that I really like is the Thaddeus Moss sign. Does that, yeah. I know we're not talking about tight ends today, but I know he's not the same level of Kyle Pitts, but would that potentially no. knock the Bengals out from taking Kyle Pitts if he's sitting there at five? No, because Thad, Thad Moss is not a starting tight end in this league. He's mm-hmm. like a wing style tight end, or he can put a hand in the ground as long as he's got someone next to him or on the other side. But skill set, speed wise, like he, he's. He's got good enough speed and he's got good enough hands. He's he's six two though. Like he's a Delaney Walker style tight end where mm-hmm. he's short but quick, can get open, not gonna be the best run blocker, but is still going to be a solid tight end if he can find an offense that works for him. I think reuniting him with Joe Burrow is a good choice. 
And who knows? Maybe they get Jamar Chase and bring back the three-headed monster of Thad Moss and Jamar Chase. That'd be crazy. That'd be pretty wild. I would love to see that. That'd be very Mm. wild. Now now Um, my mock draft brain is starting to I was going to say the mock draft brain. Well, (laughs) uh, we can, I guess, get into it now. Uh, We have our O-lineman and then... I was about to say deterior, but that, that's not the <laughs> word I was looking for. I just mixed two words together. Defensive interior lineman or interior yeah. defensive lineman, nose tackles, whatever you want to call them. The Vince Wilforks. Yes, definitely <laughs> the Vince Wilforks. Um, do you want to start on the line? I, well, we're starting on the line, but do you want to start on the O-line yeah. or the D-line? Let's, let's go O-line then to D-line because oh. I think O-line, we have more similar stuff here. And Very. I think D-line is where we kind of deviate, Very. Um, which is great. Um, let's start with number five. Who do you got? I got Elijah Vera Tucker. Uh, do you want me to go five through one here, and then we'll talk about each of these guys like last yeah, time? Or? We'll, we'll go five for five. So I'll, you do five, All I right. do five, you do four, I do four. So Sounds you got good. Elijah. I got Elijah at a USC, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. He's the only yes. guard I have on this list, but did have to play a little bit of tackle in 2020. So who knows if he could do the same in the NFL. We've seen a few versatile guys mm-hmm. be a reason why they can be taken so high in the draft we know bill belichick loves those kinds of guys and really all teams do just because they can play multiple positions uh he had a very average combine besides the bench press really everything was in like a lower percentile between like the cone drill 40 yard for his weight class and his uh positioning he was kind of in like the 30th percentile and a lot of that stuff um He's great in the run game, going to give linebackers a ride, but did get lit up against Oregon, who probably in the Pac-12 had the most NFL-ready or NFL scheme of defense. So that's a little bit of a weakness. But the versatility and just really what he's able to provide, some people have him going in the first. I think you had him going in the first in your second mock draft. I did not, but he could definitely be a guy up there just with the versatility. And he's probably the best interior offensive lineman in the draft i would say because they have him listed as a guard yeah i would agree with that especially like why davis um he's kind of got a couple question marks around him and then after that it's like the the d3 guy who could play center or guard is the only other guy in the conversation which that has its red flags to itself Mm -hmm. but then you look at a guy like ali marput who came out of hobart and now is one of the best offensive linemen in the league like that's it's just one of those things where you just kind of have to take it, you know, one piece at a time and just it say, okay. It is what it is. It is what it is. And speaking of it is what it is, how about Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State University? Uh, that was a very weird segue into Tevin Jenkins, <laughs> but uh, very good right tackle. Uh, played in a pretty balanced offense, definitely more pass heavy. They've been more pass heavy since uh, Mason Rudolph was there. Um didn't open up as many love, uh, running lanes for Chuba Hubbard or Chuba Hubbard. Excuse Chuba. me, Chuba Hubbard sounds great. Um, Chuba Bubba Hubbard. Yes, Hubba Bubba Max. All right, we got another nickname, Chuba Hubbard. Yes, Chuba Bubba Hubbard. That. That's what it's. Chuba that's Bubba what. Hubbard. That's what his nickname's gonna be. Yes, um, but overall, like it's he, he's gonna be a solid right tackle in this league. I, he's a pure right tackle. I don't think he's gonna transition back to the left side like he was um, his first couple snaps of his career. But as a right tackle, very solid, good in the past. Just run would be kind of a concern. It depends what teams he goes to. I'm going to the Raiders, who definitely look like they're going to be more run-heavy this upcoming season, especially with losing some main pass protectors for Derek Carr or whoever their quarterback's going to be, um, assuming it's Carr. But Tevin Jenkins is a solid offensive line. He won't be one of the big names at the end of his career, but he will be a guy you think of like, wow, this guy was always solid. He was always good. 
So he, yeah. he looks really solid on OK State for me. Who do you got a four? Uh, so I got Jenkins, who we just talked about. So like we said, tackle from Oklahoma State, redshirt senior. So a little bit of on the older side of guys in the draft, 23 mm-hmm. years old. Uh, biggest thing I had, I know you talked a little bit about it with the pass and run, so I don't want to harp too much on that, but definitely Oklahoma State was a pass-first offense, especially with the way college defense is set up against pass-heavy offenses. You see teams play this way against like the Oklahomas of the world. They're really only rushing three, maybe four guys, so offensive linemen don't get challenged as much up front. So it's going to oh. be interesting that a lot of teams, really especially against Oklahoma State, only rush three guys. So didn't get to see him much on a one-on-one opportunity against teams' best pass rushers. So will be interesting to see what he does. Does has a ton of upper body strength, and I wrote down similar to Marcus Cannon, just kind of looking at him, looking at his combine stats and a little bit of film. Definitely similar to a pretty good uh, offensive lineman in this league. So I think it's going to be good for whatever team picks him up. I think I. I had him fluctuating in each of my mock drafts. So I'll have to sit down and do 3.0 again and figure mm-hmm. out a destination for him. But again, kind of like Elijah Vera Tucker, one of those borderline first round guys, I think. Yeah. And it's, yeah, th- th- they're very similar for the positions that they play. And I'm going to go into number four, Elijah Vera Tucker for mm-hmm. everything that you said, you know, just, he's definitely going to be a guard in this league and it's very strong. It's just, What's he going to do in the one-on-one situations? What's he going to do when he has to take a man and drive him upfield completely by himself? We'll have to see. Um, I think if he gets a little bit quicker, that's only going to help him. But as of right now, he's a very solid guard, which is why I have him at four, just because it's a tackle-heavy draft this year like it is almost every year. Yeah, You could see one or two of the other tackles move inside. But Vera Tucker, if he's drafted and plays guard from day one, is going to be very good in this league. I'm pretty sure Mel Kuyper has him in his top 15 on his big board. He might. Um, so, and that's above some of the tackles that we're going to talk about soon. But he, he's really good out of USC. And guess what? If you're in a pinch, you can put him at tackle like the Pats did with Michael and Wemwu last year. Like, that's this is the type of player he is. He'll be willing to do it. But I think his best skill set is at the guard position. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Let's yes. see. Top three are going to look pretty similar here. Uh, yeah, I got Christian Derisa from Virginia Tech at number three. Biggest thing for him was that he faced a lot of top-tier pass, rush, pass rushers in the ACC, but Virginia Tech was a very run-heavy offense, so you didn't get to see his one-on-one skills too often in the passing game. Also, a little bit of a one-hit wonder. Had a huge 2020. Didn't really even start too much till the end of 2019, so we didn't get to see too much. Is this guy going to be up there? I know Mel Kuyper has him going definitely a first-rounder. I think a mid-tier first-rounder, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Probably mm-hmm. in that top 15. Uh, probably in that 10 to 15, maybe 10 to 18 range. So, He's definitely going to be challenged, definitely going to fare better in a run offense to start his career. But if he gets put on a team that is a pass first option, maybe like a Cowboys, I mean, I know Zeke's still there, but something like that, he is going to have to adjust. Yes. And Darisaw is a very, very pure and raw offensive tackle. He's a guy you're probably going to have to develop, but it's going to be worth the development because he could easily be one of the best offensive tackles in the league once he gets his stuff together. Obviously, he's going to be really beneficial for a run-heavy team, maybe some, maybe a team like the Titans who need a right tackle. I know Christian Derrissaw spent most of his time left, but he's a guy that could transition to the right side. I doubt they're going to move Taylor Lewan, but he would be perfect in the in – the, uh, excuse me, the Titans' offense would be great in the Ravens' offense. I just don't think he's going to fall that low to the Ravens. 
Um, so one of those two teams I think could end up getting him. But like you said, just very good. Um, obviously didn't see him in a whole lot of pass rushing one-on-one situations, but I think if he works with someone like Taylor Lewan or Ronnie, Ronnie Stanley, who are two of the best pass protectors in the NFL, that's only going to help him out in the league. Yeah. So. Nice. Yeah, who do you got at two? Uh, two, I got Rashawn Slater from Northwestern. Mm-hmm. One of the smaller guys, you could say, probably the smallest guy compared to these other five guys that we're talking about. Uh, had a great combine, though, for being a smaller guy. Obviously, his 40 time is going to be a little bit higher. Had a 4.88 40 time, which was in the 97th percentile per PFF. Also, though, I know we talked about being a little bit undersized, but still had 33 reps on the bench press, which was in the 96th percentile per PFF. Uh, so big numbers for him on uh, combine day. He's, like I said, one of the more undersized guys, but got a lot of speed. Some people have him going up as high as like 11, maybe to the Giants and 2.0. I had him going 17 to the Raiders, which I know you had, like you said, um, Tevin, or a little bit earlier, you had Tevin Jenkins going up that high. So um, going to be kind of another guy you might have to develop, get a little bit more weight on, but speedy could probably be effective in the run game. And again, on a pass game, maybe against some of those faster edge rushers, the TJ Watts of the world going to be able to slow slow those guys down yes I agree and I think his quickness for today's NFL is only going to help him I also have number two I don't know if I said it but I have Darisaw three as well yeah um but Slater is just a guy who can be really quick off the ball can give you that explosive edge would be great in an option style offense where he's just got to take up space and move quick within it and not necessarily maul guys back but more of a zone blocker um, would be great for the Giants and what they're trying to do with Saquon Barkley. Um, just a very good offensive tackle. Even the Chargers, he would look great there. I know Chargers, they have Brian Balaga. Yeah. Um, but again, he's more of a left tackle anyway, so I think that would work out well for him. So just a guy that would be really good in space, really good in getting at the second level. And you could even pull him if you wanted to on a counter, and he would be really good walling up getting to second level that way. I know the Cardinals need defensive help. I know we haven't taken cornerbacks, but we don't he... need tackles. Okay. No, we, <laughs> I was say with Connor or... and Edmonds, who are both pass catching yeah. running backs, and Kyler Murray, who's mobile, I just thought. Yeah. I mean, we could move him to guard, but we also just got Brian Winters, who's good. Justin Pugh oh, yeah. had a solid season. Rodney Hudson, our offensive line is set. DJ Humphreys mm-hmm. was one of the best left tackles in the league. Calvin Beecham also had a career year. Obviously, wasn't one of the best in the league, but very solid at the right tackle spot, which is kind of becoming like more really good pass rushers are coming off that uh, left side of the defense, now right side of the offense. So yeah. um, he did a solid job there. But yeah. Rashawn Slater, I think, is going to do really well no matter what team he goes to. But yeah, no, I agree. Number one, I'm pretty sure this is everyone's This is consensus. One. Take it away. I've, I've, been, I've been starting off here. You go first on oh, this you're one. Good. Uh, so we've been saying his name wrong. It's Penne Sewell. Not it Penne. is Penne. Penne. Yeah, like Penne. The pasta. So that's, yeah. The um, pasta just, man. <laughs> the pasta man. My NFL comp for him is uh, Trent Williams because he is six yeah. foot six, 330 pounds, can move really well in space, will run you over, and can also pull and get up the second level like crazy. Just very good in run blocking with zone and power schemes. Um, he went, was in a screen-heavy Oregon offense, which we talked about a four, uh, before, which wouldn't necessarily translate well to the NFL. But obviously, the NFL is moving more to this RPO scheme and quick hits um, and not really necessarily taking seven-foot drop or seven-step drop big-time developing plays. But still, 
will be very good in the NFL. Tell me a little bit about his PFF grades because I know you got some notes on him. Um, yeah, PFF grades, they got him at 95.7 for run block and uh, zone grade, same exact grade. So oh obviously God. a very high grade. Most I didn't write down any of his other grades, but I'm pretty sure they're both up all in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. Very high. Look, oh, yeah. For, for reference, Aaron Don. So 90 is an elite for PFF. Not a whole mm-hmm. lot of guys get 90. I think there was 10 players this year that had an overall 90 grade or more in the NFL. College, you obviously had a couple more guys because the skill set's a little bit different. There's larger uh, disparity or discrepancy between player to player. But Panay Sewell getting a 95.7 for run blocking is absolutely insane. For reference, I know he's on the defensive side. Aaron Donald had a 93.4 and what and had the highest PFF grade in the NFL. Wow. Like, and we're seeing what he's doing now. <laughs> yeah, we're seeing what he's doing. Like Panay Sewell is he's two points above that. Like, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that makes a difference when you look at the analytics. Like he Panay Sewell is going to be insane in the NFL. Very much so. So that's why I the biggest thing with him is just going to be seeing what he can do if he's not like I've re- I think in my mock draft 1.0. Mm-hmm. And the Chargers trading up to him just because maybe they might be a little bit of a screen-heavy offense with, uh, you know, running backs like Eckler and Justin Jackson who can catch passes. We saw yeah. the Chargers, you know, make some off-season moves uh, for their mm-hmm. uh, linemen. I think your cattle's making more noise. I don't even know, but oh no, that that's me playing with my straw. Sorry. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> did you go to Good Burger? Uh, no, I did not. Yeah. I uh, I treated myself to some chick-fil-a tonight oh so. okay all right penne yes. yeah no penne yeah no penne <laughs> right. but yeah i mean you kind of already touched on it sewell is gonna yeah. be really good in this league like i said if he goes to a run heavy offense it will be interesting to see what he does but there's a lot of teams out there like you said that are screen heavy offenses in today's game you're not yeah. looking for those ground and pound running back or offensive linemen it's more so those guys that are versatile and can get to the pass rusher mm-hmm. rushers especially from the outside yeah, and just move in space. That's the name of the game now. Cool. So um, let's go into D line. Yeah. Got a little bit of a difference here. Yeah, there's the big time difference. I'm yeah. pretty sure we have every single position different except the number one guy. Number one, yeah. So wow. um I'll start off. Um Ali McNeil, I think that's what his name is. Yeah. Um is a very good two gap player. Uh can fill in the A gap, can fill in the B gap, just very sound, great run defender. He's only number five on my list because his pass rushing is nothing spectacular. And D tackles, it's hard to be a good pass rusher, and it's hard to get to the quarterback, especially when you're getting double teamed a lot. But McNeil is just it, – it, it's just alarming that his pass rushing is not better for how good of a run defender he is, in my opinion. Um, I think he's he would be a great in a 3-4 defense because you can put him at the nose – and then you can move him out into five tech with an edge rusher outside of him. Like he's, he's got that type of potential where he can move around the entire interior of the defensive line and not be a, a true edge rusher um, would be great in three, four defense four three. You could still do some stuff with him, but then your defense might be unbalanced in some situations. Um, but he's going to be very good um, in the NFL when it comes to the run, he's just got to work on his pass rushing. And if he does work on his pass rushing, could easily be top two defensive lineman in this draft. I agree with that. Um, and I may have had him at number two. <laughs> Ooh, you might have. Um, but number five, I've got Milton Williams. 
So the reason I have him at number five, he didn't really, he went to Louisiana Tech. So I know we've talked about smaller school guys like Zavin Collins last week at linebacker. Uh, but the reason I have him at five, he was more, again, kind of like a one hit wonder uh, over at Louisiana Tech. Could be seen, like I said, one hit wonder there. And overall is a better pass rusher than a lot of guys. Had the high, one of the higher win rates of pass rush grades per PFF. But again, he wasn't going up against the best competition at Louisiana Tech. I forget even what conference they play in, but uh, wasn't getting to the, was getting to the quarterback a lot. Was doing really well in the run game, but mm-hmm. uh, you know you're not playing the same competition as the ACC, SEC, Pac-12, Big Ten, SEC, all those schools. Yeah. So that's why I got Milton Williams at number five. Awesome. I having sort of a similar player, but not really. Uh, Marvin Wilson. <laughs> was very good his first two years at Florida State, has kind of taken a step back, but still has first-round potential, still very good with his hands, very quick off the line. It's just, is his strength really going to be there? Is his power really going to be there? In the NFL, you need to be pretty strong to be an effective defensive tackle. But we've seen guys who are not on the stronger side who have succeeded well. Um, and getting to the passer and getting through blockers. Tyron Crawford is one of them who moved from defensive end to D tackle and has done a solid job there that way. Um, his speed's the name of his game. It's just how easy is it going to be for guards to pick up like, oh, yeah, he's just going to speed rush me. I just need to step more lateral rather than back. Or, excuse me, step back rather than more mm-hmm. lateral, and then I'll beat him there in time. So I think he's one-dimensional, but as a guy that – has I think more potential than McNeil just because pass rushing is something that he could do really well with in a pass heavy league and his run defending he's just got to work on because I think he's someone that would get mowed over in a power uh against the power concept yeah no definitely for um for Wilson I actually did have him a little bit higher on my list too but Mm -hmm. I have and Jordan you're gonna have to help me with the pronouncing of this guy I have Levy (laughs) on Woozerike. On Woozerike. I probably could have read that too, but I was just too lazy. Um, I had him. I actually originally had, I didn't realize this. I only had two interior D linemen on my uh, mock draft in the 2.0. So Mm -hmm. I had him going to the Bucks, but I had him just doing a little bit more research. I had him down as four. Uh, Plays the B gap a lot. Uh, Not very fast. Um, Is pretty built. Um, Very great shape, but I shouldn't say not very fast. He's not, I actually wrote down, he's not very fat. Mm. <laughs> wrote that down very built very athletic not that aaron donald's fat but you see a lot of guys at these positions with a lot of weight on him so very built in great shape one of the faster guys probably the fastest guy uh of the five mm-hmm. guys that i have listed here on the line became a full-time full-time starter in 2019 uh production did halt a little bit in 20 or in t- the end of 2019 because that was his first full year as a starter in 2019 and then he opted out of 2020 so he didn't really have much time to kind of jump back up and redeem himself at the end of his career, but or his college career, I should say. So reason I know he's been like tailored, like even like I said, talked about as a first round, second round pick. The reason I had him a little bit lower is just there is a little bit of concern for his potential. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with that just because Levi is so raw and definitely played more the three tech spot rather than playing anywhere else on the line, which difference between three four four three defense i think would be better in a four three defense because of that um and could shift inside the guard if you wanted to but is really a true three tech kind of like aaron donald plays more of that three tech but as we've seen in his career can play the true no spot every once in a while yeah Um, no absolutely well 
yeah, I'll talk about him a little bit later. Number three, our buddy Mike Rosendahl has been telling us about this guy, and I looked at film, <laughs> and he I, he's not a first-rounder in my opinion, but he's the third-best interior defensive lineman in this draft. Davion Nixon out of Iowa was insane in the first three games, had 16 pressures from the inside in three games. It's almost six a game, four forced fumbles. Um, I think he had like – eight tackles for loss in three games, which is insane. And then after that, his production dipped way down. Like he just was not the same player that he was at the beginning of the year, started playing some harder teams. He had some injury troubles, but this is a guy, if you want a project, if you want someone that could end up being really good for you, if you develop the right way and put him in the right system, Davion Nixon is a guy that I think is a high risk, high reward type player where do you build off his three really good games to begin the year translate it to the NFL and get him up to speed and get his strength up and he can be dominant in all phases. That's the worth the risk, but you also run that risk of he can end up not doing anything with his career and just kind of like fall down, kind of like Randy Gregory and Deion Jordan. Obviously those are defensive ends, but still you can see something similar with Nixon. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't have him on my list, but I'm no personally knowing Michael, he's going to, be very happy that you talked about mm. him. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> With the Iowa pride there. Um, yes, sir. <laughs> number three, I had who you had a number four. I got Marvin Wilson. Talked about it a little bit. Had a little bit of the, a decline from his 18-19 season to his 20 season. Did not have a very good combine in the 8th percentile in vert jump, 7th percentile in shuttle run, and 23rd percentile in bench press. So after not having the best 2020 at, at Florida State, probably didn't have the best – combine to follow that up either so he's kind of seeing mm. his draft stock fall a little bit has great balance uh big hands can throw defenders and rushers or offensive linemen right off of him so can get to the quarterback but again it's a potential thing with him i could probably flip-flop him and levy maybe even have levy as a first round pick again still but um mm. i just put him at three because the potential is there the upsides there the competition he played is there just couldn't have him obviously much higher than number three, just because these yeah. next real, I mean, number one, we kind of like Sewell. We already know who's number one's going to be. Yeah. And then two is just kind of, I don't want to say a toss up, but we both have these guys in the top five for a reason. Yeah. yeah. And I think they're sort of similar players in the regard, just one's really good against the pass, one's yeah. really good against the run. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I, number two, I got Levi on Wuzurike. He's just, he's a guy that could be an animal in the nfl especially in a pass heavy league he'll develop the run uh run defense um his he's just really quick in his hands fast off the ball has one of the best get off times that i've seen since aaron donald when he was coming out of pit like he's just lightning quick off the ball which helps him but his size is going to be a problem in the nfl i think he'll put on at least another 10 pounds before he enters uh training camp and i think he's only going to get stronger and get better and i think with the right mentors in place and the right coaching scheme, Levi could be really good either in a three fours, a D end in that, or in a four threes, a D tackle. I think either, either system he could do really well in. You could play him all over, get that mismatch with speed at center and then put him out wide on the three tech on a guard. So I, I really like him coming out of Washington. Yeah, no, he's versatile. And I think another guy who I have on here, who's versatile, who I get, I know you talked about earlier, um, Ali McNeil, Definitely, definitely versatile. Played a lot of A-gap snaps in 2020, but also took a ton of B-gap snaps in 2019. So he can really play at either one. I think in the NFL, he'd be a great fit at either. And as we talked about with the O-linemen, 
definitely good to have that diversity and that uh, flexibility with your linemen, which is great. Uh, complete run defender. I got through a lot of double yeah. teams, got <laughs> really through a lot over at NC State. And I know we talked about how uh, the ACC has a lot of great pass rushers, but that means mm-hmm. they also have to have a lot of great offensive linemen. So he was getting through some of the better offensive linemen in the country in the ACC, guys protecting, you know, Trevor Lawrence and people of that yeah. uh, standard. So going to be huge for him to find a team. I don't know if they have him as high, like him going in the first round or not. I don't think I see it too much. No. So, I mean, but, Bar- Barmore is the only consensus D tackle getting taken in the first round. Yeah, and that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I, I think McNeil is sort of like the Dominic Sue coming out of college, where Sue, like, once in a while had a really good pass rush, but was mm-hmm. known much more of his run defending. And then his first three to four years in the NFL was the best pass rushing yeah. D tackle in and the league. Doesn't stomp on people's testicles. No, literally. That's that's yeah. another conversation. But yeah. <laughs> since I took number one for O line, you could take number one for interior defensive All line. Right. Who do you have? I've got Christian Barrymore. Um, very similar to Gerald McCoy. The Alabama defenders have had, I know we've talked about quarterbacks mm. at Alabama not having a great uh, history in the NFL, but defenders have been oh kind of polar God. opposite. So yeah. has had a great NFL history, came up big in the college football playoffs in two games, 12 stops, eight pressures, had a rough game though against Tennessee and Florida only had one full year as a starter. Cause we all know Alabama has a lot of turnover there just cause guys going mm-hmm. into the draft. So this was 2020 was really his only year as a full-time nose tackle starter. So not much sample size to go off of, but just given the nature of where he's coming from. I mean, his competition against big name teams, like I said, Ohio state, Notre Dame is huge. Does need to show up against those weaker teams because Tennessee and Florida, especially Florida on the, well, offense was good this year, but Tennessee, not a very good year this year needs to step up in those big time games. So I didn't have too much on him because he's definitely the consensus. Number one, there wasn't really any reason for me to put him lower than that, because if I did that, you would have just told me I was an uneducated. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Barmore is just, Oh my God. You think of Alabama D tackles, Quinnen Williams, um, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Deshaun mm-hmm. hand, like all solid Barmore's up there with those type of names where yeah. he is just, you could put him at nose. You could put him in a three tech. You could put him out wide. If you not too wide, you would have to have someone outside him, but he can play all over. He has the power, has good speed. It's sneaky. He's more quick and quick in lateralness rather than vertical. Um, but oh my God, in the college football playoff, he was just absolutely insane. If he continues that trend, he'll be very good in the NFL. Um, undisputed, he's going to be a first rounder, definitely mid tier to lower tier, just based on team need. Not a whole lot of teams in the strap need a good interior defensive lineman, especially his team move more to a nickel as their base defense and yeah. more dime package where you only have one or two D tackles. So, but this is a guy that if you draft him, he could be a starter day one. Yeah, I agree. I think he's going to have a great career. Like I said, a lot of Alabama defenders have found. Yeah. Great successes just because they run such an NFL-style defense, it seems like, on a year-to-year basis. So, Yeah. Great success. For sure. Um, <laughs> anything else in the NFL? Uh, no. I think I'm pretty solid with everything. Nice. Nothing's popped up on my it's phone for time, late hits. Time flew today. I feel like we've only been on this for like 20 minutes. Hard, hard to believe it's already been like an hour and a half. I know. Um, crazy. Let's see. Late hits. Uh, sad news. This isn't really – 
sports related. I would say it is just because you see a lot of his music in sporting events. But mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, DMX did pass away on Friday, um, had a mm-hmm. drug overdose and then passed away from a heart attack, was in a coma. Um, Jordan, do you, did you listen to a lot of DMX? Oh my God. Okay. Same. <laughs> Not as a kid, kid, but like, as like a teenager, like, yeah. In the weight room, three yeah, or four times right. a DMX song is coming on. Like yeah. it, X going give it to you has been a staple in my pregame playlist since I first started playing. I've been listening to that song for years just cause that's Xander it's, Bogart's his walk-up song. Literally. Like X and like, it's <laughs> yeah. sad to hear it now. Um, and it's the climax song in Deadpool One. It's like it's <laughs> yeah. so it's yeah versatile. It's so good. You can put it in whatever. That it's, oh uh, my, God. my junior year, going into my senior year, when I was like the first one of my friends to like have a car and my license, we used to bump "Where the Hood At." That was our yes. Theme song. I was just thinking about that. That was our theme oh song. God. We call that our we literally call that our theme song. So, um, <laughs> sa- kind of a sad life. I mean, he had a lot of kids. I think he. Mm-hmm. But the the story that stood out to me the most with him was when he was, I think, 11 or 12 years old, he was just given a, a joint laced with crack in it and was told to smoke it. And kind of ever since then, he didn't really have a choice. That was no. kind of the life. He did get clean, which was great. And then unfortunately, the overdose, I heard kind of the reason it happened was because he took the same amount that he was used to taking when he was taking drugs regularly, which, yeah. again, is not good. But really feel bad for him because it just seems like he didn't have much of a chance i mean think about it 11 years old you're handed something by you know someone telling you to do it you're probably going to do it yeah and And it's that just proves how bad of a disease addiction is yeah and you you can fight me on it or not scientifically addiction is a disease and no it's not an excuse for people to keep doing what they're doing no like it's just the same as any other mental problem not problem i shouldn't say that mental mental, yeah yeah mental illness disease issue that people had same as anxiety same as depression same as any other thing that pops up addiction is in the same guideline and barrier and there's such a bad stigma around it you know not not to get too far away from sports but like it happens in sports we've seen it like guys just get addicted yeah not the depression with him yeah depression with him but like when you think of drug stuff, like I can't really name anyone off the top of my head, but like steroids could be part of that. HGH, like it's, there's, it's legit. Like it's a legitimate problem within our society and the stigma around it is that, oh, it's a choice. Like you, it's like, there's the argument. It's a choice that leads to a disease, which is a good argument because that one is actually like pretty sound. Like, yes, you have to make a choice for that to happen. But if you have any sense of addiction running in your family, you're that much higher of a risk to actually make the choice to pick up something for the first time than someone else. So, yeah. And they found studies. I mean, like depression, things of that nature are hereditary. Like it's a, it's a thing. So definitely, definitely hard to see that, but obviously, you know, we'll continue the legacy listening to his music. Definitely. I don't think his music's going anywhere anytime soon, especially in sports stadiums. So yeah, we, we bumped three uh, DMX songs for our pregame because that was like that (laughs) day he passed away. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, in other sports news, though, uh, on Thursday of last week, both Marquise and Marcus Morris both got ejected in the same night, becoming <laughs> the first ever duo of brothers. Not in the same game. I think that would have been pretty wild if that happened. That would be. But they did. I think the Lakers were playing the Heat. I forget who the Clippers were. Oh, the the Suns. Um, yeah. That night. So pretty historic night there. <laughs> 
Um, oh, I'm just thinking, imagine if two brothers are in a game and they're like, hey, for shit to giggles, yeah, want to punch each other like we did when we were <laughs> do you think? Do you think reps would do that or they'd like try <laughs> they and pull like a, They'd be like, are you, are you both gone? Or like, are, <laughs> does your mom want to step in and handle this one? Like, I don't know. Oh like, my God. Oh, that would be your Ref runs out with soap, puts it in their mouth. Like. <laughs> just the belt, like, you know, yes. oh gives my a God. spanking as mothers would do if two Whips boys were whistle and just cracked. Off. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Jeez, um, yikes! That would be wild. But uh, other thing I got, uh, keep it, keep shitting on the Mets. Marcus Stroman, pretty pissed off. I don't know if you heard what happened Sunday, but everybody no. and their mother knew it was going to be raining in New York City. And manager for the Mets, Luis Rojas, knew some dark matter, whatever. Uh, weatherman, meteorologist, you want to call him, said it wasn't going to rain. Marcus Stroman threw nine pitches, and the umpires called the game. Oh, and he wasn't able to pitch. Because until game time starts, it's up to the home team to decide if they want to play or not. And the home mm-hmm. team said we are going to play, and then they screwed their own pitcher out of it. So Mets Yikes. continuing to be the Mets. And then one other quick late hit before we do some quick trivia. Just wanted to go over some big matchups in sports this week. I know we touched a little bit about a little bit upon these, but uh, Wednesday night we got 76ers and Nets. Both teams tied for the top seed right now in the Eastern Conference, so that'll be a great game. Lakers Celtics rivalry Thursday night at 10 p.m. Eastern time. 76ers playing the Clippers on Friday. We got Jazz Lakers twice this week on Saturday and Monday. And then also on Monday night, we got a Suns-Bucks matchup, potential NBA Finals matchups to uh, galore across the across the NBA. And then some big weekend series in baseball. We got the Padres and Dodgers this weekend getting that mm-hmm. rivalry started for the first time this season. Rays-Yankees, big playoff match from last year. I know they played this past weekend, but I know we're going to see that six times this year. And then White Sox-Red Sox. Red Sox are rolling. White Sox are a team we're excited about. So they got a nice four-game set starting on Friday, 4-16. Love it. Love the 416. Baby. Love the 416. Uh, any trivia today, Jordan? I do have one question now since with no hitters. So do I, but I do want to shout out our boy, Eric Mauricio. He the pizza man. Shot, shot in uh, our war zone chat. Uh, you better have talked about the electric start the Red Sox has had, uh, which we did. And the dunk of the year. How do we miss this? Miles Bridges poster. Oh, oh yeah. My God, he cranked that to his back and brought it forward yeah crazy dunk loved it i think the announcer just shoved the microphone down his <laughs> esophagus too on that <laughs> oh, yeah that was that was pretty wild that was a pretty insane dunk. oh my god that i was hyped like you yeah. ever see dunk it just jump out of your seat even when mm-hmm. you're not at the game and yep. you're just like whoa that was one of them uh, it's electric but that was one of them i do have trivia cool and it's playoff receiving trivia okay Jerry Rice, number one in receiving yards uh, in postseason history, 2,245 uh, yards. Julian Edelman is number two on the list, 1,442 yards. Who is number three? I'll give you four options. Andre Reed, Cliff Branch, Rob Gronkowski, Michael Irvin. I know Gronkowski's fifth or sixth. Okay. I will give you the yardage amount, 1,315 yards for number three. And I'll eliminate Ir- Gronk because you're right. He's fifth. Irvin. Yes, Michael Irvin. Go. Good job. I had never the- even heard of Cliff Branch. So mm-hmm. how did he go play with my gut? He played with the Raiders uh, early 70s to the mid 80s when they had their Super Bowl runs. Gotcha. 
Um, okay. And then Andre Reed, obviously Hall of Famer with the I've heard of him, yeah. Bills. He's crazy. Um, all right. So I have to kind of come up with I had the question. So there I, I was looking it up. There's been quite a few guys who have caught back to back, like the two most recent no hitters. So yep. not gonna go off of that. Um, but there's two play or there's two players who have caught four career no hitters, which is tied for the most. So I'm gonna give you five players. You're gonna have to pick the two that caught four. Okay. All right. So was it Wilson Ramos, Yogi Berra, Jason Veritek, Buster Posey, and Carlos Ruiz? Do you need me to repeat them one more time? No. I'm gonna say Berra is definitely one of them. Berra's gotta be one. I want to say Veritek, but then you said Buster Posey. And I know the Orioles have at least two. Well, that doesn't matter because Buster Posey plays for the Giants. Giants. I don't know why I thought <laughs> They Orioles. wear the same colors, black yeah, and that's orange. Silly me. Who am I thinking of that catches for the Orioles? Big time name. Mm, it's been a while since they've had a bit. I mean, Weeders caught them for a while. The yeah. catcher now is Sever- Pedro Severino, but. Okay. I don't know why I thought them. he was Orioles. Oh, no, then it has to be Buster Posey is the other one. So Posey and Barra? Yeah. Nope. It was Veritek and Ruiz. Okay. Um, Both all, but I will say Posey, I made this tough because Posey, Ramos, and Barra all caught three. Wow. And Posey caught, Posey was one of the ones that caught back-to-back, Veritek caught back-to-back, Barra caught back-to-back, or like, shouldn't say back-to-back, but like two most consecutive there was a few other guys on that list too. There was, I think Ryan Hannigan was one of them. Boston's own, Melrose's own, Ryan Hannigan. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. I was thinking Veritek originally, and then you said Barra and Posey. I was like, they got to have four. Yeah, it was Ver- That's a Veritek. Tough one. Yeah, Veritek stood on that list alone for a while, and then Ruiz caught up to him, I think, in like 2013 or something, 2015. So, yep. Cool. Anything awesome. else you got to add before I lose my voice? Yeah, don't murder your wife. Don't be Stop Babe Ruth. Here. Don't nope. be Babe Ruth. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it next episode. We've talked about yeah, it we will. today. Um, on episode... What's episode? 19. No, this is 19. We'll talk about it on yeah. episode 20. On episode 20? Episode 20 coming to you on 420. Yes, sir. We love that. Hey, we're 16 days away from draft day, baby. Hey. I am excited. 16 days away from draft day. Month away from the NBA playoffs. Oh, my God. Baseball's just getting kicked off. Teams have played their first 10 games pretty much, so... Enjoy sports, enjoy life, and as always, get Rod on the pod.